Glad that you're here. I said to someone this evening, or they said to me, I thought you were going to be in India. And I said, that's Friday. And um, then I thought, we got a good crowd tonight. How many of you thought I was going to be in India? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. We had a record amount in the 1 o'clock service today. And tonight we've got a good crowd. So I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm here. And... Um, uh, you're, uh, you'll, you'll have Pastor Cox will be preaching Sunday, and then uh, Nate Click will be here Wednesday, and then um, I will be back next Saturday, but um, um, I'm going to be quarantined for two weeks. No, I won't be. Um, uh, I won't be, I probably won't sleep much on the plane. It's about 24 hours to get back, um, and I lose about 12 hours, so um, I'll be here asleep on the front row on Sunday. So you pray if you would, but pray for our trip. Um, continue to pray for Debbie Williams, if you would, please. She um, had her surgery this week, and um, they were not able to remove the tumor that uh, they went in to, to remove because she has too much scar tissue. And um, what I was told by the, what the doctor told Jim was that when they went in, it looks like someone just poured super glue all through her insides because of the previous surgeries that she's had. And it would have caused more damage for the doctor to go through all of that um, than, um, than it was necessary. So pray for her because now she's back to chemo and the chemo she was using really was not um, aggressive enough to, to fight that cancer. So um, she's got some really tough decisions that she needs to make. And so pray for her if you would, please. She'll be in the hospital a few days just recovering um, uh, from just the exploratory type surgery she had. And then, good news, if you would, um, pray for Jim. Where's Jim at? Jim Kress. Where's Jim? Jim. There he is. Uh, we prayed last week for Bonnie. And Bonnie, it looks like if all goes well, and Bonnie has a couple good days, um, uh, next couple days, that she'll be home Friday. And so uh, pray. That's wonderful news. And um, just pray. It's still a long journey ahead of decisions that have to be made, but uh, she's home. And that's, that's good news. So praise the Lord for that. All right? Good. Everyone else doing all right? Everybody else happy you're in church? You're really not disappointed I'm here tonight, are you? Oh, great. All right. Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to actually have one more. I thought we'd finish this week, but um, uh, when I get back, the, the Wednesday that I get back, we're going to finish this study because I want to um, just spend some time on this verse. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the Beatitudes. And how many of you have read through the Beatitudes before? Yeah. How many of you just read through them and get on to the next chapter? Anybody ever read them like that before? We've taken and studied a verse every week for the last several weeks, looking at the progression of these Beatitudes. How many of you want to live in peace? I know I do. How many of you say it's difficult, though? Yeah. So the Beatitudes, Jesus is speaking to uh, his disciples. He pulls them away, and he begins to speak to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the, they that mourn. And we looked at poor in spirit, humility, uh, mourning, spiritual mourning, looking at our sin and saying, I don't desire to live 
in just habitual sin or continue in this, this path that I'm in. And the Bible says, blessed are they that mourn. And as we move from humility to mourning to meekness, it brings us to a place where we then begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You can't hunger and thirst after righteousness when you're full of pride. When you're full of sin and desiring to appease your flesh. But when you begin to apply these and poor in spirit and mourning and meekness, you'll come to a place where there will be a hungering and a thirsting that takes place. In the promise that comes with blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, what's the promise? For they shall be filled. And all the earthly things that we try to grab that we think are going to fill us, you know what we realize? There's nothing that truly fills us like the Word of God, righteousness. And we then step into, once we then begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are the merciful. And we saw that last night, or last week, I'm sorry, when we looked at the first step toward forgiveness is, is mercy and looking at what Christ has done for us. And the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Christ has forgiven us. God forgave us. And His Spirit lives inside of us. Therefore, with the help of the Spirit, we can forgive. Even those things that we think, or those people that we think, it's impossible to forgive. We come this evening to this verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Christ did not speak these Beatitudes to make us feel hopeless or defeated. When you think about blessed are the pure in heart, how many of you would say this, you always have a pure heart? How many of you have ever thought something wrong this week, today, within the last hour? How can we have a pure heart? How can we have a pure heart because we're human? How does a human ever achieve a pure heart? If we think about this, we could come to a place where we feel hopeless and defeated and think to ourselves, how could Christ tell us to do something that we can't not achieve? We'd walk away defeated. The, the, the blessing of this is we shall see God. Did Christ ask us to do something that it's impossible to do? Therefore, we cannot get the blessing that comes with this, the promise? Being... Being uh, uh, in, uh, we've, we've got to, let me, let, me, let me skip on. I don't want to take a lot of time here tonight because I've got a lot of scripture that I want to study here tonight. So I'm not going to repeat a lot of things building up to this. But um, Christ desires for these attitudes that he speaks of to be a part of our life. And we must be able to attain this. Would you agree with that? How could Christ ask us to do something that we couldn't attain. And so let's continue to pursue God's blessings this evening as we explore this beatitude of blessed are the pure in heart. Purity of heart does not mean a sinlessness of life. It does not mean we get to a place where we no longer sin any longer. I, I would suggest this. We could probably take the oldest person here 
that's been saved the longest, and they would say this about themselves, I'm still a sinner. I still sin. There are still things about me, even though I don't desire to or don't necessarily want to. The, the reality is this. I'm a human being. And so purity of heart does not mean that we arrive at a place where we live the rest of our life sinless. It, um, if that was the case, we, it would be impossible because we cannot attain perfection here in this life. Christians in this life are always sinners, and we're always in the process of recovery. Always. We, we can go and, and, and we can make progress, but none of us will ever be able to, uh, to be all that God has called us to be in this life. Now, aren't you thankful for heaven? How many, how many of you cannot wait till you get that new body? How many of you, the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, you say, oh, and you make noises before you actually start speaking? Anybody like that? I live with someone like, no, I, I'm that way. I feel like, you know, you, you grunt and moan before you actually start to use words, you know, the first half hour. The, the, our bodies, we're going to have a new body. Our desire to sin, you know, it's interesting. We, we can have victory over sin, but, but every so often, how, how many of you would say, and you don't have to raise your hand at this, but you are tempted. There's that desire that comes, or that temptation that comes, and you, you're tempted. And we can go and make progress, but none of us will ever be all that God calls us to be here in this life. 1 John 1.8. I'm going to give you some scripture tonight and, um, uh, so that we can get through everything. Write these down and, and go back and study these if you would, please. And um, if you can get there, fine, but, but I don't want you to spend a lot of time trying to find it and miss everything that we want to talk about. So write these scriptures down. Go back and study these. The Bible says this in 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin and we deceive ourselves, the truth is not what? In us. So if there's anyone here that says they have no sin, the Bible right here tells us that's not true. Every single person, there's sin. Purity of heart does not mean you never have a bad thought. Purity of heart does not mean we come to a place where we don't sin. So if that's true, what is purity of heart? What's the Bible say about purity of heart? Because I want to find out, because I want to receive this blessing. I want to come to a place of peace in my life. And if this is a path to get to the place of peace, we've got to go through a purity of heart. And write this down, please. So what is a purity of heart? A pure heart is an undivided heart. A pure heart is not, once you get to a place where you no longer sin, a pure heart is an undivided heart. Let me explain this to you. James 4, 8, the Bible says this, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Purity of heart is to will one thing. It's to will one thing. The Apostle Paul gives a wonderful example. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he says this, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things that are before, I, he says in verse number 14, press toward the mark for the, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
The Apostle Paul is saying those things that I lived for before, those no longer are what is what my goal is in life. I now have a desire. I press toward that prize, that, that mark for the, the, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's got a singleness of heart now. He's no longer looking to, to uh, or we as Christians should no longer be looking to, to desire the things of the world and desire God, even though even in our desire to serve God, there's at times we're going to sin, but a singleness of heart, purity of heart is to will one thing. Go after one thing. Now, I... Um, Several years, twenty I guess twenty some years ago now, we and Michelle we we married. And for that entire time that we have been married, I can say this about her, and I can say she can say this about me. We've had a singleness of heart. We're going one direction. There's been no one else. But Michelle, have I ever disappointed you in that time? Be truthful. I mean. They know I'm very, very close to perfect, but be, be truthful with them. <laughs> Help them understand. Have I ever disappointed you? <laughs> Not too truthful now. I mean, the truth is yes. Now think about that. In your, in your relationship, when you made that commitment to someone, you made that a commitment to faithfulness, but you did not make that commitment to, to, to perfectness because there's no way you are going to be perfect to your spouse. It's impossible. Can you be faithful and not be perfect? You can. You can. Have I disappointed her? Have I, has, have I done things that, that if I could do over? Of, of course, every relationship would have those things. But there isn't someone that is on the side that, that uh, uh, my, my desires are for. My desires are for my wife. And in a marriage where there's singleness moving one direction and, and uh, 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 one thing, willing one thing, there can be times where I'm disappointing her and, and not being the husband that I should be. Purity of heart is not perfection. And listen to me, it's, it's important for us to see this because many a times what religion says is that you have to strive to be perfect. And the more you do good, the more God accepts you. And what we have to understand is this, God loves you the same. He doesn't love you any more when you do good, and he doesn't love you any less when you do bad. He loves you. He loves you the same. The purity of heart is not trying for, to get us to a place of perfection because we would fail. We would try to live a, a life and continue to fail and continue to struggle and then get to the place, if you're not careful, you would get to a place where you say, it's not worth it. I'm just going to go and live however I want to live. This is impossible to live a perfect life. Philippians 3.12, Paul says this, not as though as I had already attained. He says, I, I haven't attained to this, but this one thing I do in verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind in reaching forth, going forward unto those things that are before. He says, what? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Purity of heart is to will 
one thing. Paul says, one thing I do, that one thing I will, that one thing I move forward to is I press toward that mark for the prize. So when Jesus blessed, says this, blessed are the pure in heart, he is, he is saying blessed is the person whose heart is undivided. It's undivided. A great prayer. This is a, a prayer that I would suggest we pray. I would put this psalm in a place. Write this on a three-by-five card or put it on your phone or put it in a place that you can constantly see. And this is a wonderful prayer, Psalms 86, 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. What that prayer is, cause me to be undivided in my heart, undivided in my attention. Help me to seek you. Teach me thy way. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Psalm 86.11. Number two, I want you to write this down if you would please. A pure heart is a heart that is washed clean. Now, there are many people that believe this, that Jesus can forgive them, but he can't cleanse them. My sins are forgiven, but, but I am who I am, and so therefore, he can't change me, he can't cleanse me. So all the, the, the issues I have, all the things in my past, all the compulsive behavior or the addiction that I have, there is no true way to victory because I'm forgiven, but I would submit this. Jesus is able to forgive you. He also cleanses the heart. He cleanses the heart that's, that's messed up by greed. He, he can cleanse the heart that's messed up with lust or pride or any other sin habit or compulsion that you may care to name in your life. Whatever that is, the reality is this, that Jesus Christ, he can cleanse you of that. You don't have to live a defeated life saying, well, at least I'm going to heaven. I'm forgiven. So I will just suffer here on this earth with this behavior, with this sin nature, with this compulsive behavior, with this addiction, because at least when I get to heaven, then, then I'm forgiven. I'll spend eternity in heaven. The Christian doesn't have to live a defeated life because there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's power. He can cleanse. Christ not only forgives, but he also cleanses. Write this verse down, please. Titus 3, 5. It says this, not by my works of righteousness, which we have done. You know what that means? You can't do it in your own flesh. You can't do this. You cannot have a pure heart. You cannot attain uh, purity or you cannot attain salvation. You can't attain it, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercies, he what? He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. He, he, hear me. We cannot ever forget, Christian, that we have the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. For us to say that I cannot get victory over habitual sin or I cannot get victory over addiction or temptation or these things, this compulsive behavior just keeps drawing me back, what we're denying then is the power that lives inside of us. 
Because the Bible says that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. We have forgiveness of sins and we also are cleansed because of that blood of Jesus Christ by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God can renew your mind. He changes you. Titus 3.5 Christ washes our minds and he he regenerates our hearts. I've talked to many, um, the, um, uh, many that would say this. You know, I used to, used to cuss like a sailor. I, I, don't, I don't know what a sailor cusses like, but I, I've heard say that before. And, and people said, well, I, before I got saved, I would cuss. And then when I got saved, the Lord began to take that out. And, and, and I no longer speak like I used to speak. What is that? Is that religion? Is that turning a new leaf? No, you know what that is? That's the power of the Holy Ghost that lives inside of you. He regenerates you. He changes you. He washes you. He can change your mind. He can change your heart. I've, I've spoken to some that will say this. Boy, before I was saved, boy, I was an alcoholic, and I just could not get victory. But, it's, but since I've been saved and growing in Christ, you know what I find? That, that he is giving me victory in these areas. You can have victory because of who lives inside of you. There are people that would say, boy, I used to battle with, with certain things and, and certain thoughts and, and certain behaviors, and, and, and now that I'm saved, I'm a new man because of the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. My, um, my father-in-law, he, um, he is a, he's a totally different person. He sits around... When he tells us his testimony, I just think to myself, you are just a, a, a thief. I mean, he was a, he was a bad guy before he got saved. He worked from early age. He went and uh, they were, worked at the Philadelphia airport and they catered. That's back when they actually had real food, you know, not just this packaged stuff. But they'd actually make food in a, in a, in a kitchen and take it to the airplane and and you got more than just a package of cookies, you know, they actually fed you. And, and they would cater these planes. And, and they would, in those, in those uh, uh, planes, they would put these little bottles. Um, someone, what are those? What, those little bottles? Somebody tell me which ones are. Anybody? Everyone's looking like, I'm not going to say. Little bottles of alcohol, right? Yeah. Is that what it is? Mickey? Yeah, he'd had cases of Mickeys he'd be putting on those airplanes. And I'm not talking about the mouse, you know. I'm talking about the, the other Mickey. Yeah. And, and he'd put these cases on, and, and he'd take these cases off, and, and uh, they'd take a case, two cases off, and one would go back to the place, and one would go in the back of his truck. Two would go back to the place, and three would go in the back of his truck. And he would sell these. It was like his part-time job. He worked for Mickey. I mean, he sold these things, and, and he, it, it was serious. That's what he did. He'd make this extra money. He'd have people meet him on, on the side of, like, the road down at the Philadelphia Airport, that, the old dirt road. He'd, he'd have people pull up. One time he had, he had people pull up. He'd pull his truck over. They'd pull it behind him, and a cop car pulled up behind them. He said, oh, no, we're busted. The cop just wanted a Mickey. I mean, he just wanted a, a case of Mickeys. That's what he said. I, this is where I get it, right? Yeah, Reuben, I'm telling you. I mean, he, that's what he did. 
He'd go to, to Mass and he'd tell the, the priest. He'd get forgiveness and he'd go do it again next week. And that's the way he lived his life until he got saved. And the desire to sin, the desire to, to steal, began to leave him. The more he got into the Word and closer he got with Christ, the more pure his heart became. The more closer he got with Christ, the more he realized that Christ could change him. You see, Christ can give you new affections. You say, well, I, I really love that. But you know what Christ can do? He can change your affection. He can cause you to love godliness and righteousness. He changes your interests. He changes your inclinations. He gives you new energy. As Christ washes your heart, you will gain a fresh love for him. This is what happens through this process of cleansing. A new interest in his word and an interest in his people, an interest in his service. My father-in-law got saved and his family thought he was nuts. You're going to church when? Twice on Sunday and in the middle of the week? You're, 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 you're spending time with, with these Christian people. What is wrong with you? They thought he joined a cult. You see, the, the thoughts of your mind and the affections of your heart will begin to change as Christ washes your soul. And over time, the sins that once held you captive, they loose their power on you because of the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. He can cleanse you. The beginning of faith, and this is something that everyone should say and pray, if I was in Christ and he was in me, how many of you believe that you're in Christ if you're saved? Yeah, if, if that be true, if, if I was in Christ and he was in me, I believe he could make this heart clean. I believe he can change me. It's not a program, and it's not religion. It's not turning over a new leaf. This is called the Spirit of God living inside of me and changing me because I am in Christ, and he is in me. And Therefore, we can then, when he says, blessed are, they, blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus changed Paul's heart. Re remember Paul? How many, of you, how many of you are awake on Sunday mornings when I'm preaching? Huh? What am I preaching on? Acts, who, who, who are we talking about a lot right now? Paul, right? But before chapter 13, it was Saul. And Saul was, was, was uh, 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 religious, but he was killing Christians and enslaving Christians and putting them in bondage and, and living his own life. And, and now all of a sudden, he's a totally different man. Now, you know what he's doing? He's telling people about Jesus. He's doing whatever he can to get the gospel out. Jesus can change life. What was that change in his life that was called the road to Damascus when he met Jesus Christ? How about Zacchaeus? Remember Zacchaeus? He, he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And remember, he climbed up in that sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. This man was a thief. And Jesus... I was going to continue to quote that song, but I got off track. But as Jesus passed by, something happened. I forget the song. But, but you know what happened. Zacchaeus came down. He went to his house, and Zacchaeus changed. And what did Zacchaeus say? I'm going to go back, and everybody I robbed, I'm going to give him seven times more. You know what? He had a pure heart. He was cleansed. You know what he realized? 
I'm not, I don't have to be the, the robbing, thieving tax collector any longer. You know what Satan wants to do? Satan wants to say, you are what you are, your sin was. You know what you are? You are just this. That's, that's the best you can be. You are whatever name your sin. That's what Satan says. And Jesus says, no, you're in me. You're cleansed. You're clean. When God sees you, he doesn't see what Satan calls you. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus changes you. And we need to practice. And I'm going to give you three things here quickly that would allow us to promote a pure heart. Practices that promote a pure heart. How many of you want a pure heart? Then let me give you some applications and practice. Number one, would you write this down? Listening. Listening. Write this down to listening next to it. The practice of immersing yourself in the word of God. Listening to the word of God. Hear me, too many Christians want this blessed life, but they refuse to be immersed in the Word of God. And I'm not talking about reading a chapter and saying, all right, that's it. I'm talking about letting the Word of God just just continue to, to, to fill you, be immersed in it, reading it. Many Christians that begin to, 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 to uh, uh, sin and, and, and grow away from the Lord in their relation with him, many of them would, if they were honest, would say this, I've put my Bible down. I stopped being immersed by the word of God. He, here's this practice that promotes pure heart, purity of heart, listening, Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Christ washes his people with the word. Scripture, listen, Scripture is essential to your pursuit of purity as water is to washing. How many of you believe that you need water to wash? How many of you, if you came in with dirty hands, you would not go over to the hand sanitizer and put a bunch of hand sanitizer on your hands and say, oh, look, I'm clean. No, what do you do? You go in and you get water. If you go in and you just pump soap out and you put soap on your hands and leave it there, are you still clean? I, I remember, I don't remember one of the, the, uh, what girl it was, but I remember one time we said to the girls, go, go get a shower and when they were a lot younger and, and um, the water never went on. They came back down. They came in their pajamas and I said, you couldn't have gotten clean. I didn't hear the water. I got clean, Dad. Look, I got new pajamas on. I said, yeah, but you're filthy underneath those pajamas. Now get up there and turn that water on because you've got to use water if you're going to get clean. Can't get clean without it. Hear me. Scripture is as essential to your pursuit of purity as water is to washing. You can't be pure in heart without Scripture being immersed in it. There's no other way. Immerse yourself in Scripture. John 17, 17, Jesus said this, sanctify them through what? Through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Hear me. We can come up because of our emotions, because of our upbringing, because of our culture, because of of, of our our attitude that day, because of our, our life experiences, we can always say to us, I think this is truth. How many of you ever thought one day this was truth and right and you ought to do it, and the next day you think, what in the world was I thinking? Like, who thought this? Who thought this was a good idea? 
Because you make a decision based on your emotions. We all do it. But thy word is truth. Get yourself immersed with the word of God. Make decisions in your life based upon the word of God because the word of God is never wrong. It doesn't matter how you feel or the circumstance at the moment. It it is never wrong. Thy word is truth. In Psalm 119.9, the the song uh, uh, author said this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? He's asking this question to start the psalm. How does someone get clean, he says. And he answers that by saying, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. The only way the psalmist said that you can be clean is to immerse yourself. You can only be clean by according to thy word. The entrance of God's word gives us light. Everything else is darkness. And so, Christian, listen, we must immerse ourselves in the scriptures. Knowing the word of God will have a cleansing effect in our life. And hear me, as we immerse ourselves, then apply what you hear. So many Christians, they have it here. I'll counsel someone, and they, they finish the Bible verse. They know it. Many times they'll even say this, I know what the Bible says, but I, I, tell me something that I need to hear. The Bible. But we've got to take it from knowledge to application. And then over time, the word, the word will loosen those stains in your soul. Write this down, number two, not only listening, number two, worshiping. Worshiping. Worshiping, and write this next to worshiping, the practice of gazing on the glory of God. How many of you have ever been out in the country, away from lights, away from smog, and you've looked up in the sky, and there's these, all these little shiny dots in the sky? You know what those are called? The stars. You look up, and I remember there's been times I've looked up, and I've thought to myself, wow, what a God. Unbelievable. I, um, I love looking in the sky after a rain and seeing a rainbow. I'll tell you why I love seeing that. Because as you read scripture, the Bible says that rainbow is there as a reminder to who? God. He will not flood the earth. My thought is this. Every time you look at that rainbow, God's looking down at that rainbow, and it's a reminder to him, I'm not going to judge these people through a flood any longer. And as you're looking at that rainbow, he's looking at that rainbow from the other side. And I just think to myself, wow, what a God. Think about creation. Think about who he is. We were singing Sunday. The praise team was singing a song, Hallelujah for the Cross. And, and I didn't really know that song. And I was looking at the words as they were singing that. And I sat there on that front row, and I thought, wow, what a Savior. Think about this. You and I sinned. God could have just said, you know what? I'm done with humankind. Adam and Eve, if you want to sin, you know what? All right, fine. You're going to die. You're going to spend eternity separated from me, and I'm going to start creation again. And all he had to do was say, let there be another man and and breathe into that man and that woman a a, um, breath of life. And this time, take two ribs and make the woman, you know, right this time, you know, and not just the one rib. And and we wouldn't have to sin again, you know? And, And I was like, God could have just done this all over again and start over. But instead, he said, you know what? I'm going to leave heaven and I'm going to become man, and I'm going to live a sinless life, 100% God, 100% man. I'm going to be born of a virgin, and I'm going to 
It's for making fun of women, isn't it? Sorry, ladies. And I'm going to, I'm going to uh, um, redeem mankind. I could let mankind just die hopelessly in their trespasses and sin, but instead I'm going to give my life. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul said this, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. When's the last time you just thought and worshiped because of God's glory? When's the last time in your prayer life it wasn't about asking God to give me all of these things, but it was just simply thanking God and praising God and worshiping God? He goes on to say, all are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. He speaks of an ongoing change that happens in the life of a Christian as we worship. The more you see the glory of Christ, the more you'll be transformed into His likeness. Worship is more than just attending a service. Worship, it's the gaze of a soul on the greatness and the glory of God. When I was um, dating my wife when we first met, we, um, um, she wanted to get married right away, and I'm like, listen, you need to wait a while, you know, and so, um, but she gave me this picture, and I'll never forget, um, um, she had a blue dress on, I don't remember the, the hair color number, but, but it was um, a blue dress, and um, uh, I remember just, I would sit up and I would gaze at this picture. And I would think to myself, she is beautiful. Wow. And in fact, I'm going to take a picture of her when I go to India on Friday, and I'm going to just look at this picture. I'm going to just say, wow. I would think to myself, how in the world can I be such a lucky guy? I, I, how many of you guys know what I'm saying? You thought the same? Like, what in the world? I know, Slim, you're right. What in the world? What is she thinking? I mean, she's beautiful, but obviously she's got some brain issues, you know? Uh, um, it's that gaze. You ever gaze at that person you love? You know what worshiping is? It's gazing. A, it's the gaze of a soul or the great, at, at, on the greatness and the glory of God. If you're struggling with an addiction or a compulsive behavior in your life, Ask yourself this question. Right now, ask yourself this question. How did I get there? I, I remember my, my mom went to Bible college. In the first year she was in Bible college, my grandmother got pregnant with twins. My, my, um, so my uncles are five years older than me. And they were like, they're rotten. They were rotten. They were, they were um, uh, like not, not they, they just, my, my grandfather, my mom grew up, she was, the only one saved in her home, and, and he pretty much let them do whatever they want to do. And we, I mean, we were making pipe bombs and things of that sort, and, and uh, it was bad that we would go there and the stuff they would get us into. So I'm 10, 11 years old, and, and um, they're just five years older, so they're teenagers. And I always was fascinated because my uncles, I never knew what, I thought they were born with their lip out like this, you know? They ate, they spoke, they played baseball, we made pipe bombs together. I mean, this thing in their lip, just it was never, it was always there. And I thought to myself, what is that? And I learned it was chewing tobacco. 
And, and so I remember one day I took it, I went out into their yard and took this, this, this little container and I took it, I watched, I remember they put it and they put it in there. I had it in my lip like that. And I swallowed some of it. And I turned every shade of green. I think I passed out for a day. I mean, I felt sick. I was like, what in the, how can you eat this stuff, you know? And I didn't realize they weren't eating it. It was just kind of sitting there. And I thought to myself, this is nasty. I mean, I, literally, I wanted to die. How many of you remember the first time you tried chew? Yeah? Dip. How many of you ladies remember the first time you put that dip in your mouth, huh? You know, uh, it was nasty. And I thought to myself, how in the world, how in the world could you, could you do this? Like, why would you do this to yourself if it does this every time? And, and I realized, I learned afterwards, it doesn't do that every time. And, and my, one of my uncles, yeah, everyone does it the first time. I'm like, then why would you do it a second time? I've heard people say, man, I, you know, I, I just can't give up beer. I remember the first time I tried, I couldn't stand the smell. I couldn't stand the taste. Then why can't you live without it now? You made an idol of this thing. You went to that idol for comfort. You looked to it for happiness. You worshipped it the way your way and became addicted to it. How will you get free? Worship God. You see, listen, Christian, you can't just remove something in your life and leave a void. And if you do, you will always go back to that thing that left a void. You've got to fill that void. You've got to fill that void with God. You can't just take out these things that you've made idols and expect for now there's a void, and at least I'm not going to do that anymore. No, you've got to replace it with worshiping Him, going to Him, finding happiness in Him, finding satisfaction in Him, replacing what you once worshiped with now God. Thirdly, write this down. We'll round in third here. Persevering. So we listen, immerse ourselves in the Word of God. We, we worship and then we persevere. The practice of getting up when you have fallen down. Micah 7, 8 says this. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I set in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Listen to me. Every single Christian, you are going to stumble. You're going to fall. And you've got to get back up. Every time you say yes to sin, you increase its power in your life, making that next temptation even harder. But here, on the reverse side, every time you say no to a sin, you weaken its power and you make your own position in the fight against it stronger. Purity isn't something you have when you're young. I, I saw this quote, and I thought this quote was, was just... It puts everything in perspective. This old Puritan writer wrote this. Purity isn't something you have when you're young and lose it when you grow up. A lot of times people think, well, you know, I've got some history and I've got, I've got some baggage and I've got some situations. And so I've lost my purity and I'm older now and I can't get it back. No, purity is not something you lose, but rather 
for the Christian, purity is something you gain as you grow in your Christian life. It's not something you lose. Every single person here tonight, no matter of your past, you can have a pure heart now. As you begin that process of listening and worshiping and and getting back up and growing in your Christian life, go after purity. Be intentional as you go after clean and and an undivided heart. You can have an undivided heart. You can be clean because of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells inside of you, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. Go after that. We can be pure. And look at what happens. The blessing that comes, the promise that comes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then we move on to peace. You see, I can have peace in my life when my heart is pure. My heart being pure doesn't mean perfect. It means going after the things of God, one focus, one direction, allowing him to clean me, an undivided heart, and cleansing. Father, thank you, Lord, for this study.